This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart, and we are so excited you're here today. Um, It was our heart for season two of the podcast to bring you some messages from time to time that would just feed your soul as a leader in ministry. In other words, we're often also busy putting on church and in the the regular grind of church life uh, that sometimes we just don't stop and breathe and let the word of God speak to our soul. So I pray that this message today helps you. In fact, today we're going to bring to you a message on breaking the power of shame. And this is a subject that I've been so passionate about over the last year or so. Um, Even in my own life, in my own journey, I'm going to share with you today something that's very personal that God has brought me through to a greater place of health in my own life. You know, I just firmly believe that the greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness is a healthy church, you know, and, and that the most important thing to the Lord is that we as leaders are healthy on the inside. And this is my story and my journey toward health. So I pray that it'll help you. I pray that it will speak to you today. If I can help you in any way, or we can pray with you in any way, I want to encourage you to reach out to us at leading second at churchforward.co or on the leading second forum on Facebook. Let us know how we can walk with you and pray for you in your own seasons of leadership. So here we go today. Here's a message for you uh, without further ado, breaking the power of shame. God has a word Uh, for every single person in this room this morning. And I hope you came expectant. I hope you came um, ready to receive something from the Word of God this morning. Amen? Anyone thankful for the Word? Do you love the Word? Has the Word absolutely changed your life? Um, I asked you to stand this morning because I want to take a minute and prepare our hearts to receive the Word. I think sometimes what can happen on Sunday mornings, I don't know about you, I do this anyways, is so often it's easy to come into church, but really like not be here all the way. Sometimes we're here physically, but we're distracted. You know, we're thinking about something going on later today, or you know, we're thinking about a challenge going on at home. We're thinking about the conversation that is waiting for us tomorrow morning we don't want to have, or whatever the case may be. How many of you know the word is not faulty? But sometimes the soil of our heart can be faulty. The word always does its work, but sometimes we're not ready to receive it. And so I asked you to stand because I want to take just 60 seconds, if we could, and clear out the noise, clear out some space, Get ready, because I believe if we're ready, I believe God will talk to us this morning. This morning, I'm going to talk to you on something that I believe will affect everybody, and everyone in the room will benefit from. But then I also believe, and where my faith is at this morning, is I actually believe that what we're going to share could save someone's life today. I might say that's quite the statement about your own message. Um, It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the power of the word of God to save lives. And I actually believe this word is for someone today. Like I really believe that someone walked in this room one way and you're about to walk out another. 
And so I just want to give God that breathing room and that space to talk to us. So anyone that's here that's in agreement that would join me, if you feel comfortable, would you just lift up your hands to heaven this morning all over the room? Anyone who just wants to clear out some space, would you, in your own words right now, would you just begin to do some business with God? Come on, just begin to talk to God and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm ready. I'm open. I'm receptive. Lord Jesus, come and talk to us today. Come and speak to us today. Come in power. Come as champion. Come as victor. Stride into this place this morning. Stride past our insecurities and our fear and our doubts. I pray that you would come and show yourself faithful and strong. I pray, God, you'd mess with us, that you'd rearrange us, that you would change us, that we would walk out of here differently. I thank you that your word rewrites stories. And so this morning, God, um, I pray that you would rewrite the story of our lives uh, by the power of your word. And I also pray this morning, Father, for anyone that doesn't know you. Right now, I pray that today would be the day where they cross the line of faith, where they choose to put their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ, the only place it belongs. And we love you. We expect great things from you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said a big amen. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. And turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 45. Psalm chapter 45. While you're doing that, I'll, um, first of all, introduce my wife. Lindsay is with me uh, this morning. Give the obligatory pastor's wife wave, if you will. This is my wife, my favorite human being, my ride or die. I make her get on airplanes and go everywhere with me because we get to do this together. I think that's one of my favorite things about ministry and life right now is just a family that's all in uh, for this thing. And speaking of, we have a one daughter, Zane. Many of you have met her. Uh, she kind of grew up around here, around here, and uh, this is her now or within the last year. Uh, she's seven. As you can tell, she has no personality whatsoever. Um, life is very boring. For us, so miss her and I'm away from her for a few days. But if she was here, she would want to preach this morning, just so you know, um, or act or do something. So I have no idea where she gets it. She must get it from her mom. Um, I have no idea where she gets any of that. Um, we come, I've been a part of the same church my whole life. So 36 of my 37 years on planet Earth, as Pastor Nate mentioned, one church, one pastor, one vision. Uh, I love our house so much, and I simply am here as an extension of our house. And then a few months ago, actually in uh, February of this year, uh, in Houston of all places, uh, my wife and I launched a new ministry out of our house called Leading Second. And um, I'd love if you would uh, come tonight. I really believe in what we're going to share. And by the way, I brought the rain from Seattle too. You're welcome in Jesus' name. There you go. Um, all of your lawns just got watered again and again. And again. Anyways, I'd love if you'd come tonight for Leading Second. Um, I really believe in what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, we have a podcast, by the way, called the Leading Second Podcast. I'd love for you to follow and subscribe. We have a Facebook forum called the Leading Second Forum. We just have tried to create any way we can to resource leaders in the church. And you might be here this morning and you might say, Well, I'm not a leader. And I say, Bull. I say, Checkmate. Because Jesus said you're the light of the world. So a light shines in darkness. There is leadership on the inside of you. So you might be saying, well, tonight's just a night for the leaders. That therefore means tonight is a night for you. So I'd encourage you to come on out, invest in yourself. It's going to be a highly valuable 
night, and I just believe God's going to do something great tonight. But um, anyway, we love the church, and we're doing anything we can to make God's church better. All right, Psalm chapter 45. It says this, my heart is stirred by a noble theme. (laughs) As I recite verses for my king, my tongue is the pen, what does it say, of a skillful writer. My heart is stirred by a noble theme. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. How many of you know the script of our heart is determining the direction of our lives? That there's a script on the inside of each of us that we are living out of every single day. I wonder what theme your heart is stirred by, in other words, this morning. This morning, if you'll allow me, we're going to go in and we're going to talk about some heart issues today, the things that are directing our lives. 3 John 3 says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers, just as your soul prospers. This morning, if you want to give this message a title, you can title this message, Breaking the Power of Shame. Breaking the Power of Shame. I understand recently you've been in a series called Goliath Must Fall, phenomenal book, And this morning, I just kind of want to come right behind that and talk about a Goliath that fell in my own life, a Goliath that I actually was unaware of until the last couple of years was even in my life to begin with. So a moment of confession for you, I am a shame survivor. I am a shame survivor. A couple years ago, I was sitting with our team, some of our staff at my home church. And we were talking about this new personality test, new to us anyways, called the Enneagram test. I'm not sure if anyone has taken the Enneagram. If you have, I am a three on the Enneagram, which uh, should tell you basically anything you need to know about me. Anyways, if you haven't, not a big deal. Well, we were sitting there in the office one day and kind of our in-house expert for the test, he was trying to profile me. I hadn't taken the test yet. And so he said, okay, I'm just going to ask you a couple questions, try to figure you out. He said, are you more anger-based? I'm a real angry person, as you can tell. Are you more fear-based, or are you more shame-based? And like a knee-jerk reaction, I mean, as quick as I could think, I I blurt out of my mouth, well, I'm definitely not shame-based, Like it just came shooting out. I'm thinking I feel pretty confident. I'm going to do this often enough. And I I feel pretty good about myself. Well, I took the test. Turns out not only am I incredibly shame-based, I'm like the poster child of the shame-based group on this test. Well, now I have a problem. And as I began to read through my profile and dive into this subject, I began to realize I wasn't doing okay on the inside. So often, 
in life and in leadership, we feel the pressure to be okay, to be doing okay. We live in a culture that is highly image managed. And so if you're not doing okay, it's really easy to post what you want to post online, swipe up for the right filter. You know, in, in one minute, your bedroom goes from messy to Pinterest, you know, in like one swipe. But like we're so easy at managing. I think I wasn't realizing that like there was a script going on here that was determining everything about my life that was not in line with what God said about me. So this morning, I want to I go there. I want to talk about shame. Shame is often referred to as the swampland of the soul. I don't go here callously. I actually go here very prayerfully. We're not going to stay here long. But if you'll give me permission, I want to talk about something that I believe has hijacked so many of us. And I want to begin to pull back the curtain and expose shame for the liar and the thief that it is too long. The enemy has been ripping off the people of God by hijacking our souls with lies. The greatest threat to the enemy is a healthy church and healthy believers, people that are free, that are living on the authority of the word of God according to the design and the identity that comes from our heavenly father. That's the greatest threat to the enemy. And so sometimes all the enemy has to do to make us ineffective is to numb us and rewrite with a lie the script on the inside of us. I want to go there. You know, shame is the subject matter of the first conversation between God and man. How many of you know guilt and shame are two different things? Guilt is being sorry for something you've done. But shame is being sorry for who you are. In other words, guilt is behavior-based. Shame is identity-based. How many of you this morning, if I did something wrong to you, and then I came to my senses, I turned the other way, and I said, I'm sorry, I did something wrong Will you forgive me? How many of you would forgive me in this room? Raise your hand. If, if I'm sorry, I, okay, we'll get there to 100% soon, hopefully. Um, that wasn't a trick question, by the way. The answer is yes, hopefully. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I did something wrong. That's guilt talking. Shame, though, says something far more dangerous. Shame says, I'm sorry, I am something wrong. And so shame is about the lies and the script that have hijacked us. I like to think of it like this. Guilt was taken care of on the cross because our shortcomings and our sin and our failure were eradicated by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only hope that we have this morning, took away our errors, our wrong behavior, 
But I like to think of shame as the aftermath of the storm of guilt. That when failure comes and blows through our lives, it leaves in its aftermath the debris of shame. And that takes a whole lot longer to clean up sometimes. You know one of my things I love most about the local church is the local church is the great failure experiment of the world. I mean, think about it. You've never seen a person step onto this platform, play an instrument, teach in a class. You've never seen a person in church who hasn't failed. I mean, we don't stand up here as people that think we've got it all together or people that think we're perfect. I am here this morning, but by the grace of God, by, by the mercy of God, that he saw fit to rewrite my story from the gutter story it would have been, but by his word and by his grace and the power of the resurrected Christ. And so in church, we have this new story after failure. Here's the problem. We don't like to fail. And so the aftermath of failure hangs with us longer sometimes, and it's called shame. And this morning, I want to expose shame for the liar and the thief that it is. I want to show you how this is robbing us from the life God has for us. And by the power of God, we're going to believe that shame can be broken in Jesus' name. Let me share with you a few thoughts this morning, breaking the power of shame. The first thought is simply this, shame has a language. Shame has a language. In other words, shame talks to us. Shame has a script. Shame shouts at you, and yet it is often very silent, meaning we don't recognize that it's actually shame that's doing the talking. Shame says things like, you're not good enough. Shame says, you never finished what you started. Why? Shame says, your, your wife left you. Your husband left you. Shame says you're not pretty enough, talented enough, smart enough. Shame says, I know you think you can do it, but. In fact, shame has two main scripts that it plays. It, it's, it's you're not enough, and who do you think you are? I began to see my own shame language showing up, the you're not enough language. I began to see it showing up, and you know, life requires that we show up. Life requires to have authentic, meaningful relationships, to participate in the arena of life. Life requires that we show up. The problem is shame wants us to hide because it talks to us. Shame has a language. Which leads me to my second thought this morning, which is simply this, shame's first draft is a straitjacket. Shame's first draft is a straitjacket. Shame binds us up with a lie. I want to show you how this works. Our, and I'm not going to use medical terms, but this is my best understanding of how this works. Our, our minds are a beautiful place, amazing place, a very complex place, but our minds do something I find very interesting in that our minds don't like uncertainty. Our minds don't like unanswered, open-ended questions, the questions that shame produces. 
And therefore, when presented with a question, when presented with a thought that your mind doesn't know the answer to, your mind will begin to go to work to solve the problem. To put a period at the answer, uh, at the end of the sentence, that's why you hear that we jump to conclusions. Because your mind is, is immediately trying to go to work to solve the problem. And then when your mind comes to a conclusion, whether right or wrong, your mind rewards you chemically for solving the problem. Therefore, we want to solve the problem. Here, here's the problem. You get rewarded whether the conclusion your mind came to was accurate or not. It doesn't have to be accurate. It just has to be final. As long as it's final, you can... And so this is where lies come in. When you are answering the question, am I good enough on anything but the word of God, your, your mind is inserting a lie into your soul. This is where the shame script comes from. Shame's first draft is a straitjacket. It binds us. It shouts to us, and yet so often it's silent because we don't even realize it's shame talking. Shame's first draft is a straitjacket, which leads me to my third point today, and that's that shame poisons healthy relationships. This is where it gets real. Shame poisons healthy relationships. Kendra, why don't you come up here for a second? Anybody love Kendra, by the way? She's all awesome. Hey, we're both uh, threes on the Enneagram, by the way. We're like a shame pair. <laughs> Look at it. There it is. Okay, so let's say Kendra and I work together. It, it's Friday, and I'm excited for the weekend. I'm going to the Texas A&M game. I understood they won last night. <laughs> Amazing how much better church is in College Station on a Sunday morning when the Aggies win, you know? And uh, so, so, like, I'm excited. It's the weekend, Friday, 4 p.m. I happen to walk by Kendra in the hallway, and I say something as simple as, Hey, Kendra, have a good weekend. Now, normally, you know, if you're polite, normally the, yeah, the, the, the response is, is, you know, Hey, Brandon, have a good weekend, too, right? This is not difficult. Y'all in the South are very polite, right? Y'all, you appreciate my attempt here? By the way, you know what I love about the South? I just have to add this in, because uh, I'm not from the South. If you can't tell by the skinny jeans or something, I'm not from the South. Uh, you know what I love about the South the most is y'all have created a way to look at someone straight in the eye and insult them with a smile on your face. <laughs> it's called Bless Your Heart. Bless your heart, Jacob. Like, a smile, and I'm just telling you, you're an idiot. You just, just straight, straight to your face. It's amazing how you all have, have, have created this. Anyways, um, have a good weekend, too, Brandon. Let's say, though, on this day, let's say that's not what happens. Let's say I say, hey, Kendra, have a good weekend, but let's say on this day, Kendra would never do this, I'm sure, but let's say Kendra rolls her eyes or like sighs, just walks past, turns, you know, 
Let's say that's what happens. Here's what shame-based Brandon does. Shame-based Brandon begins saying, Kendra hates me. Kendra doesn't like me. Kendra doesn't like working with me. She doesn't like the work that I do. Kendra wishes I was never born. I mean, think, think about where we go with these things, right? And now we've got a problem. We've got an issue. I'm going to spend the entire weekend trying to figure this sucker out. Why Kendra couldn't be bothered enough to just say something nice to me. What's the problem? I'm going to be going back 10 years in our working relationship here trying to figure out where that eye roll came from because shame poisons healthy relationships. It doesn't have to be accurate. It just has to be final. We've got a problem. Well, here's what I've learned that the healthiest people in life do, is in order to break shame, first of all, you have to externalize it. You have to get it out of here, and you have to be able to look at it. That, that, that's kind of your first step. And so some of the healthiest people in the world, and if, if you got to write this down exactly as you heard it, and if you have to password this, you password this sucker on your phone. But you, you write it down. You say, Kendra hates me. <laughs> Put this in your lies folder. Ken Kendra wishes I was never born. Kendra hates working with me. And you set it down, and you look at it. And you go, is that true? Like, is that what I know to be the story of this relationship. Is that what I know to be true of Kendra? And many times just looking at it, you're able to go, that's a lie. If, and you, you look at it and then you look at the word of God and you replace those words with these and you remind yourself, no, this is who God says I am. This is the life that God has given me. This is the identity that I have in Christ, my Savior. And so many times that just refreshes your heart and rewrites the story. Now, if you're still having an issue, here's what the healthiest people in the world do is on Monday morning, by the way, not like 10 Fridays from now. Come on, somebody. That word right there is for somebody. Not 10 Fridays from now, but on Monday, the healthiest people in the world go, Hey, Kendra, do you have a minute? So I know this is really small, like really probably didn't even notice this. But on Friday when I was walking out, I said, hey, Kendra, have a good weekend. And I know this is really, really small. Just hang with me. You didn't say it back to me. And you rolled your eyes and, you know, you walked off. And here's your line. Here's the tool for your toolbox this morning. Here's your line. The story I'm telling myself is that we have a problem. The story I'm telling myself is you don't like me. Maybe sugarcoated a little bit from what you wrote down. I would maybe recommend like. <laughs> the story I'm telling myself is that we have a problem. Is that accurate? Now, if it is accurate, Kendra and I have a whole other conversation we got to have. Somebody say amen. But here's, 
Here's what typically happens. Is Kendra goes, oh my gosh, you've got it all wrong. She said, when you said have a good weekend, you reminded me I had a funeral to go to the next day I didn't want to go to. And it was going to be anything but a good weekend. When you said have a good weekend, you reminded me that I wasn't done with my work yet. I was going to be working all weekend. And I, I could tell you were about to go out and have fun. And honestly, I was kind of jealous of you, you know, it didn't, it didn't mean that to me. It, you see what happens here. Lie is exposed. Lie eradicated, relationship restored, because we were willing to do Matthew 18. When a brother offends you, go to him. We were willing to commit to having a healthy relationship, and we give no daylight for the enemy to come in and poison what should be a healthy relationship in our lives. Amen? Like, that's the commitment I think we have to make as God's people. Lie exposed because shame poisons healthy relationships. Give Kendra a hand, by the way. She's awesome. This all right this morning, Skybreak Church? Leads me to my last point today. It's the best point of the whole day. And it's simply is shame can be broken. Shame can be broken. I'm going to read to you this morning as we close out of Luke chapter 8 in the message. It's a story of the woman with the issue of blood. But I want to read it to you out of the message, and I want you to see something maybe you haven't seen before. Out of the way this is written, it says this, in the crowd that day there was a woman who for 12 years had been afflicted with hemorrhages. She had spent every penny she had on doctors, but no one had been able to help her. She slipped in from behind and touched the edge of Jesus' robe. At that moment, her hemorrhaging stopped. Jesus said, who touched me? But when no one stepped forward, Peter said, Master, we've got crowds of people on our hands. Dozens have touched you. Jesus insisted someone touched me. I felt power discharging from me. Now, what I want you to understand is that when you read about this woman's condition, you can also insert the word shame. Because this, her condition would have been accompanied with a high level of shame culturally. So many people, when they hear this story, and it's an accurate way to view the story, they view the story of her touching the edge of Jesus' robe as a measure of her faith, you know, just one touch of his garment, I'll be healed, and that is accurate. But let me offer you a an accompanying thought to that. As I've heard it explained that one of the reasons she was slipping through the crowd on her knees was to remain hidden because shame wants us to hide. And then one of the reasons she touched the edge of his robe was because she didn't want to defile him because she felt so dirty about herself. She didn't want to touch him because he was holy. He's perfect. How could I be in the presence of something so great? 
How can I deserve a life beyond my shame? Now, I just feel to say this morning, I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know if you had to drag yourself into the room this morning. You might be here on your last leg. You might have shown up this morning saying, God, if I don't get a word from you this morning, I don't know what I'm going to do. I know right now, personally, as a pastor, I'm walking through situations with multiple people, leaders, pastors, people that are not doing okay. I don't know how you feel about you right now. You might just feel like the woman... I don't want to, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to, I just, I'm just going to touch the edge of his robe. I'm not worthy of anything more. I want you to hear what Jesus says. Jesus insisted, someone touched me. I felt power discharging from me. In verse 47, it says this, when the woman realized that she couldn't remain hidden, she knelt trembling before him. In front of all the people, she blurted out her story, why she touched him, and how at that moment she was healed. Jesus said, daughter, and look at this, he confirms her identity. You took a risk trusting me. Because there's a lot of voices in the world that are going to tell you a lot of solutions that don't add up and don't make sense. Their world has their own identity has their own idea right now about identity and about purpose. And I'm just here this morning to tell you that Jesus knows who you are and he knows he created you the way you are because of why you are. And there's purpose attached to your life and your design. And you want to know why you're here and what you're living for? Turn to Jesus. He's the one that created you in the first place. And he looks at you and he says, son, daughter, you took a risk trusting me. Now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed. You know, shame can only exist in one of three conditions. Silence, secrecy, and judgment. The three Petri dishes in which shame can live. This is why I believe the Bible says in the book of Revelation, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, so by the power of God, and by the word of our testimony. When you share your story with someone, it could be a counselor. I have no shame in saying I see a counselor. Probably we'll see one for a while at this point. Talk to a pastor, a trusted friend, a mature believer. When you share your story with someone, You know what you give them the privilege of doing? First of all, you eradicate silence and secrecy. And you give them the opportunity to look at you and say, I don't condemn you. Judgment eradicated, shame broken in Jesus' name. In other words, we need to talk to somebody. If we're going to be responsible with this, if we're going to walk this out and experience freedom, this morning when we pray in just a minute, I'm going to believe for the power of God to meet you right where you're at. But then there's a responsibility on our lives to go and share, to go and talk, and you will experience freedom in Jesus' name because shame doesn't have to be the script 
of your life any longer. In Jesus' name. Here's the confidence I have in this message this morning. The Bible says in Jesus that we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand our weaknesses. The Bible says we have in Jesus the high priest who was tempted in every way we are, yet was without sin. What does that mean? I heard it said one time that shame can't survive empathy. Isn't that a powerful thought? Shame can't survive empathy. That means when, when someone feels understood by someone else, shame can't live in that environment. I got thinking one day, what is empathy? Empathy is not sympathy. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. It's not empathy. Empathy doesn't need to condone someone's actions or feel sorry for them, but empathy says, I do understand. I'm willing to step into your shoes and I'm willing to see life from your perspective. I do understand. And that's one of the great shame breakers. Man, doesn't our world need a little bit of empathy right now in our conversation, in our politics? Okay, we'll save that for the next message. But think about who's the ultimate empathizer? It's Jesus. You know, you have, you've never had a dirty thought or a temptation that Jesus himself didn't experience, but he didn't sin in those moments. Think about Jesus. You know that part of you that you despise? That part of you you wish was gone? That part of you you wish wasn't a part of your story? Do you know that Jesus was tempted in that very way? Yet he was without sin. So guess what? You know what he says to you this morning? I understand what you're going through. Jesus is the ultimate empathizer. And yet he looks at you like he looked at this woman and he looked at countless people when he was here on earth. He said, I don't condemn you for that. In other words, if shame can't survive empathy, that means shame can't survive Jesus. That when Jesus comes into your heart, he rewrites the story of your life. The Bible says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And you and I, we may not know how the story ends, but we do know the one that holds the pen this morning. And he is able to come and break the power of shame off of your life this morning in Jesus' name. Is anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? Come on, if you're thankful for Jesus, will you stand to your feet? Will you give a praise to Jesus this morning and just begin to thank him right now for his goodness? Begin to thank him for his faithfulness right now. Come on, if you're thankful for Jesus, why don't you just begin to worship him and love him? We love you this morning, Jesus. You are so good. Okay, with heads bowed, with eyes closed, no one moving if you would. If you're here, this message is for you. I'm not going to ask for a story from the stage. God knows your story well. If you're here and this message is for you and you're saying, Brandon, I'm, I want to believe God to break the power of shame off my life. I'm dealing with it. It's hijacked my script, my soul, but I'm ready for it to be broken today in Jesus' name. Will you just lift up your hands this morning? No shame, no condemnation. You know what I love about doing this message is men lift their hands Women lift their hands. Couples lift their hands. Come on, no shame in this room this morning. Jesus, I thank you today that in your presence we are healed and whole. 
I thank you, Jesus, in your name, we have a sense of identity and purpose. And this morning, God, I'm believing that the power of shame is broken on our lives. We are believing today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe that you would expose shame for the liar and the thief that it is today. I thank you that you took care of our sin and our failure on the cross, and now you come behind that, Jesus, and you remind us who you created us to be of our original design, our original intent. And I'm believing today, Father, for the truth of your word to replace the lies of the enemy and the lies of the world. I'm believing for you today to come and be truth in those places. And that as we're responsible to walk this out, I pray that you bring freedom and wholeness and security, Father. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so on the authority of the Word of God, on the authority of the name of Jesus, I speak to shame right now, and I cancel your assignment. I silence your voice, and I declare shame broken in this room this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you, God. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this message today, and I hope you'll plan to join us every Thursday morning uh, for ongoing episodes of the Leading Second podcast, where we feature interviews from thought leaders and church leaders on uh, catalyst conversations, vital conversations. We believe we need to get right if we're going to be uncommon church builders. I hope you'll hit the subscribe button and uh, consider leaving us a rating, a comment, sharing the podcast. We'd love to uh, help anyone in your world to get it right as a leader in the second chair. So leading second, we love you. Until next time, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. For more information, check out leadingsecond.com or join us on the Leading Second Forum on Facebook.